The following episode of TOEFOP is rated MA for mature audiences. It may contain sexual references, time travel references, allegations of bin misconduct, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that this episode is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who thinks a comedy conversation between two old mates sounds like a terrible idea for a show. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deke speaking. This is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Hello and thank you for watching. So sometimes you're throwing that at the end, sometimes you're throwing it at the start. It's like a utility catchphrase. Is that what we're, we're deciding? Works equally as well at the start and at the end of the episode. I may do it at both, just to complete it full circle. Yeah, well, you could, or you could just bloody pick a, pick a lane, mate. Start or end, you throw my rhythm out. No, I like it. I like the idea that I could just throw it in whenever I want. You know what? I, I Occasionally, Rove should have told me to say hi to his mum, to my mum for him at the start of the show. Shouldn't have waited until the end of the show because you know what? Like maybe I haven't watched right till the end of the show and now I don't know that Rove wants me to pass on his best to my mum. Or is it more of an Urkel catchphrase where you can just bust it out? If it's like the episode's lagging a bit, you just sort of a bit of... Hello and thanks for watching, eh? And turn to the audience and wait for that laughter to start. Oh, like, so just big catchphrase style. Like, uh, the, yeah. Bart's I didn't do it, kid. Like, that's yeah. just real. It's got some real heat in it. Anytime there's an emergency, I will just throw it in like a life boy. Or for our American listeners, a life buoy. That's always been one of my... Can we just discuss that for a second? Boy buoy? and buoy. Yeah. You're a boy boy? You're Australian. You'd be a boy yeah, Australian boy, right? Boy boy. Yeah, boy boy. Yep. Yeah. A boy boy, as opposed to a soy boy, which I'm sure we both are as well. <laughs> we're both soy boys. <laughs> no cucks. good soy boy, boy, boy cucks. That's what we yeah. are. But here's what I... W- I couldn't even swim out to a boy. I'm such a, I'm such a soy boy. There's no way this boy could swim out to a boy boy. Yeah. So, okay. So, oh, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh buoy. <laughs> like, buoy is... It's just one of those ones that I'm... I, I, why do the Americans pronounce it buoy and we pronounce it boy? Because of the spelling, I imagine. Like, it's kind of like how Americans also pronounce root as route. There's just some, you know, there's, there are some kind of words in the English language, which I think, you know, obviously have precedence of pronunciation. And then there's others where people are just like, no one says knife. I mean, we should all say, <laughs> pass me a knife and fork. But no I mean, one says that. Imagine if Crocodile Dundee hadn't worked in America because they did not know what he was talking about. It's like, what yeah. is this knife? And he's got a knife? He's holding a knife. Does he mean knife? <laughs> is he not pronouncing the K? Well, the Americans also say Xavier instead of Xavier. Like we just say, mm. uh, we just say Xavier. That's pronouncing it with a Z. But to actually name the letter you're about to pronounce has always baffled me. Like, am I C. Charlie? Um, G, no, C. Harley. You are, uh, C. C. Harley. Harley. You're C. Harley. That's what you are. No, because they're not saying Xavier. They're also throwing the Z in as well. They're, they're naming the letter and then saying the word as it should be pronounced. Xavier. Not, and, and so I would be C. Charlie. You'd still say Charlie afterwards. Okay, so I'd be W. Will. W. Will. <laughs> that actually kind of rolls quite nicely, though. W. Will. It has a sort of a literary kind of flow to it doesn't it w will that should be your rap name w will yeah i mean it's already it's will time I to am. get ill with w i will oh I fucked that up already <laughs> with w will w will yeah it doesn't work as well uh so your catchphrase hello and thanks for watching was generated by ai and i'm starting to think that maybe maybe with this 
podcast is being monitored by AI because we had a, a listener write in last week, Will, who um, wanted to know uh, if you were a pop star, what kind of pop star you would be. You know, there's a little bit of hilarious hypothetical, typical TOEFOP hijinks. And then I come across this article only days later uh, from The Guardian. And the headline is, Russian man trapped on Chinese reality TV show finally voted out after three months. Are you familiar with this article? I am not familiar with this. I do read The Guardian, but I, I did not know about the... So hang on, he's a Russian person who's on a Chinese reality show? Is that what I'm... Is that what's happening? That's... Yeah, Russian man trapped, in trapped in inverted commas, on Chinese reality show, finally voted out after three months. Vladislav Inovov says he reg- <laughs> well, You didn't need to mention he was Russian because apparently he has the most Russian name of all time. Run me through that one more time. Vladislav Ivanov. Vlad- Vladislav Ivanov. Or as he calls himself, V. Vladislav. <laughs> I. Ivanov. <laughs> Vladislav Ivanov says he Ivanov says he's regretted his decision to join a, a produce produce camp. Well, hang on, it's got to be produce produce camp 2021. It wouldn't be produce camp. It sounds like a different reality show if it's produce camp. Well, I don't know what it is yet. It might be a camp in which that they have to pick produce or something, right? Okay. Well, let's get into the article. This is from uh, Helen Davidson and Andrew Roth. This is a they they teamed up Helen Davidson and uh, Taipei and Andrew Roth in Moscow have have cracked this story. I mean, this so, is a big international story. It's across borders. It's two foreign correspondents working on something together. A Russian man who joined a boy band competition show on Chinese TV on a whim, but quickly regretted his decision, has finally been released from his ordeal after making it all the way to the final. <laughs> Vladislav Ivanov, a 27-year-old part-time model from Vladivostok, was working on the show Produce Camp 2021 as a translator when producers reportedly noticed his good looks and asked him to sign up as a contestant. Okay, so this is already amazing, this story. So he's Vladislav from... from Vladivostok. Vladivostok. He's working as a translator uh, on this TV show and they've just gone, you know who's the most beautiful person in this room? It's not the contestants up here. It's who's that? Who's that over there? That guy, that guy speaking that language that I can't comprehend or understand. Who's that dude? So a Russian working in China as a translator, do you think he's translating from Mandarin to Russian or from Mandarin to English? I mean, that's a very good point. Don't know. Need more details. What is more likely? Who is he going to need to... He, well, he probably speaks multiple languages. That's the great embarrassment. I don't know if you ever find this, Will, but every time I travel through Europe and you say you're from Australia and then you meet someone who speaks like five languages and like I barely speak English so chances are this guy knows like half a dozen languages if he's a translator and you're going to be working all around the world you'd probably be told up on quite a few right I mean the good yeah that is a very good point I mean we spent the first five minutes of this podcast talking about the idea that like boy and buoy stumped us <laughs> so the idea of graduating to an entirely different language is well beyond our comprehension Ivanov told the program that he'd been asked if I'd like to try a new life and he agreed which is the way every kind of dystopic, you know, fantasy story starts, right? Would you like to try a new life? It's like Total Recall. It's like The Matrix. If anyone asks you if you'd like to try a new life, you say no. You just stick with your mundane humdrum existence. Regardless of what your life is, you've got a pretty good life anyway. You're a translator. You speak three or four different languages. You've gone from one, you know, 
um, horrible regime to another <laughs> to live. I'm not sure if going from Russia to China is better or worse when it comes to living under some, you know, massive, you know, government control. But That's a good point. Like, if you'd like to try a new life, yeah, well, how about you take a trip to, like, New Zealand? Mm. They've got shit going on pretty well down there. <laughs> Maybe this that's thing called you democracy. Need. You'll fucking love it. <laughs> he quickly came to regret the decision. Unable to leave on his own without breaching his contract and paying a fine, he instead begged viewers to send him home and deliberately performed poorly in the hope of being voted off. So this is what I was going to say, and I was hoping it was going to be revealed during the course of this article, because when you first said that he wanted to get off this show, but he couldn't get off. My immediate thought was, well, clearly, if it's a talent show, you just go on and prove that you have no talent and people vote you off. But mm-hmm. what I'm starting to suspect is that the entire Chinese audience thought this was a pretty good gag and <laughs> decided to get on board, making sure this guy would never get to leave the show. I think it's more, it's something that we've, this is why I'm pretty sure we're being monitored by AI, because it's something we've touched on a couple of times in recent episodes, the idea of, failing upwards by not wanting success that's what makes people want to make you a success i think that's probably more if he went on with this kind of anti-establishment attitude people like oh i like it he's a rebel i like the cut of his jib yeah we've never been able to watch happy days in this country but i imagine this is what the fonz is like (laughs) (laughs) the program concept which had originated in korea pits young performers against each other to train and eventually form an 11-member international boy band Not enough. chosen by the voting public. So it's that's going to be like a K-pop thing, right? It's always got to be good that there's... Like in Western culture, your boy band is traditionally four or five because in Western culture, we've decided there is basically four or five identity and prototypes for the audience of a boy band and then when you look at the boy band you go okay that one's meant to appeal to this group of people that one's meant to appeal to this group of people does the fact that there is 11 of them imply that this sort of k-pop chinese like you know even russian maybe audience there is more complexity to the fan base there that they need like 11 different personality types they can identify or is there people in the boy band who are doubling up like is there like so if there's 11, is there like yeah. three Joey Fatones? Yeah. Is there three kind of I, yeah. like nerdy ones? Well, why? I'm just going to type in, why do K-pop bands have so many members? Yes, I typed that slow. Mm. Of course, K-pop, or is it pronounced in Australia, pop? Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this, uh, this is just a little grab offline. Uh, what a K- this is on CheatSheet.com. Why do K-pop groups have so many members? And it's a pretty obvious answer. Different uh, People find different characteristics appealing, so having a large group ensures that most fans can find at least someone who captivates them. In fact, it's also common for groups to have a member whose main job is to look good. Yeah, I mean, I think you'd argue that. Yeah, duh. Uh, That's your kind despite. of standard for any boy band all over the world. You're locking one who's going to look good. But what, what I'm fascinated by is what are the other 10 personality types that we're catering to? Yeah, well, I think you're right, though. I think you have that core... I mean, this is going to sound like very Western chauvinist, but I think the uh, formula we've established, which is you've got the bad boy, you've got the boy next door, you've got the, uh, the ugly one <laughs> who doesn't seem to do anything. Uh, what else have you got? Then you've got the singer, the good singer, the Gary Barlow or the Jordan Knight or, uh, you know, um, whatever. And then what's the other one? Is like the I think a diversity. younger one. Often they have a younger one, like, you know, just someone who will appeal to a bit Well, that's of the, the boy younger. next door, the cute one, right? So, can right, be, but it can be a separate but, one. 
let's think about this. So you got bad boy in, right? That's we Definitely. know that's for sure. Good singer, songwriter, the guy who yeah. will normally have a solo career, he's in, right? Then you got ugly dude, every man. We'll just call him every yeah. man. And then what do you super got? good looking? And oh, then we got boy, boy. So do you have good looking and boy next door? Absolutely, two different. Yeah. Okay, so you got one who's vanilla and one who's like you know catwalk. Yeah. But that doesn't explain a lot of boy bands because I can't think of like one good looking one in like the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> They're all pretty rough, weren't they? And isn't now one of them's a queuing on it. I mean, I think that back in the day though, like they were seen as being like you know pretty sexy. The Backstreet Boys. I don't think that they thought anyone thought the Backstreet Boys were an ugly boy band. I think that they were at the time a sexy boy band. I suppose. But then you got like, I guess this goes back to your initial question is uh, if you're having bigger numbers, do you double up? And you would say that Justin Timberlake probably doubled up in InSync, right? Because he was the most talented one and he's also the best looking. Yeah. Well, that's, so, where, that's where the rest of InSync really made a major mistake. Having someone who's good looking <laughs> and also really talented because clearly he was just going to go out on his own at some stage. He did not need the rest of the losers. But so do you think if you have like 11 in your group, you just have... Um, I guess it's like supplementary good-looking guys and supplementary good singers. Okay. Here's what I've got here is from College Magazine. Um, this is an article from September 26, 2013, and it is entitled Six Boy Band Archetypes That Actually Never Change. All right? So, in first place, the bad boy. Okay. We know them. We love them. Whether it's One Direction's Zayn Malik, he's oh, your yeah. bad boy. Or New yep. Kids on the Blocks. Who was the Donnie bad boy? Don, Donnie Wahlberg. Wahlberg. Well done, Charlie. We live for the mystery, the brooding and the smoldering, yep. and the let me catch my breath. Let's just look at them. Okay, so anyway, pictures of a whole bunch of them. So that was number one, the bad boy. Okay. Number two, the baby face. Yeah. Well That's done. The boy next door. Yeah. These handsome young fellas uh, going all the way back to Donny Osmond, the original baby face. Or, of mm -hmm. course, Michael Jackson during the Jackson 5. Uh, include InSync's Justin Timberlake, Backstreet Boys' Nick Carter, and O-Town's Ashley Parker Angel. I don't really know who that is, but that's no. fine. Okay, now, I'm not sure that you necessarily would be able to use this language, but back College Magazine back in 2013 was describing this third character as this. We perhaps need to update the language around this, but uh, the Rico Suave of the group... <laughs> is number three uh did it just get suddenly ridiculously hot in here or is it just me these guys were the resident hunks well that's what we called them you know the the right. super good looking person okay. these guys were the resident hunks uh 98 degrees jeff timmons bs backstreet boys howie uh b2k's omarion i don't know i don't know who these people are okay now we've got meet the parents the meet the parents one. This is your, I guess, your boy oh, next okay. door, right? Meet the okay, parents. Okay, sure. <clears throat> yeah. The man's the perfect combo. Suave and smooth, but still sweet and innocent enough to bring to sun Sunday dinners. Sinks <laughs> JC Ch uh, Ch Chavez. 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 Yeah. yeah. And 98 degrees, Nick LaHaye. LaShay. 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 Simpson. Uh, they are your meet the parents one. Yep. Then. You've got your uh, goofball. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good way of putting it. Goofball. Uh, InSync's Joey Fatone. <laughs> yeah. Poor old Joey. Back, Backstreet Boys, Brian Luttrell. 
or okay. O-Town's Trevor Pennick. Uh, Hang uh, on, isn't Brian Luttrell, isn't he the one who's in QAnon, the goofball? Uh, might be we, the goofball, yeah. I think we did. I think we did a deep dive. I thought Brian, because uh, he's the blonde one, I thought he was the bad boy of Backstreet Boys. Clearly I got that wrong. And then you have what they call the interesting one. <laughs> or resident weirdo. Right. So this the is... interesting. Who's Give me an example of the interesting ones. Uh, well, in InSync, there was Chris yeah. Pineapplehead Kirkpatrick. He and get his ba- ass kicked worse than those little limp biscuit bastards. <laughs> and then there was Backstreet Boys without... Uh, Backstreet Boys, AJ, his beard is what colour McLean? Oh, uh, yeah. He always had weird beards and earrings. He was yeah. mysterious. Yeah. <laughs> so well, it says go. in this article, Will, that about K-pop, um, one of the reasons that they have such large numbers is that South Korean men from 18 to 28 are required to serve about two years in the military. Mm-hmm. Since K-pop is an industry that changes quickly, going on hiatus for two years could kill a group's momentum. However, by having a large boy band, it can help soften the blow of military service. It's easy for a few members to enlist at a time when the rest of the group continues to make music and entertain fans. With a big group, their stage performances will also still look full, even with members missing. For example, Super Junior, who currently have nine active members, used this technique for almost 10 years while each member took turns going into the military. (laughs) Who would have known that boy bands were actually part of the industrial military complex? I mean, this is a plot from The Simpsons, though, right? Remember yeah. that episode of The Simpsons where they tried it, they formed the boy band, and it was basically an American military recruitment program? Recruitment this is ploy, what yeah. is going on with K pop. Um, okay, back to the article. So, uh, the program concept, which originated in South Korea, pits young performers against each other to form an 11 member international boy band chosen by the public. Ivanov and his fellow contestants were sequestered in dorm rooms on Hainan Island. And their phones reportedly confiscated. Uh, not Hayman Island, Hainan Island. Using the stage name Lelouch. Ooh, ooh la la, Lelouch. <laughs> That's a pretty fancy stage name for a guy who says he doesn't want to be a performer. Also, I would suggest like a hard name for, like, I, I mean this in, I, I mean, I, I don't know how it translates Lelouch. It just feels Lelouch. like one of those things that is very specifically French in like even sound so the idea that it has to be translated into like mandarin or it has been translated through russian or whatever it seems like a i'm I'm, what i'm going to say is based on his name he at least speaks french as well as russian and mandarin yeah i'm just going to see if lelouch actually means anything if there's a meaning behind it Uh, i mean the type in lelouch the first thing that comes up is this guy's story (laughs) so he is the he is the lelouch um, okay, so Lelouch uh, Ivanov told the viewers, you don't love me, you'll get no results, <laughs> and repeatedly pleaded with people not to vote for him. His first song was a half-hearted Russian rap, in stark contrast to the high pop of his competitors. Please don't make me go to the finals, I'm so tired, he said later <laughs> in the episode. <laughs> so <laughs> this is kind of how I imagine your pop career going like you somehow find yourself in this like absurd adam sandler style comedy where you're now a pop star and just begging to be released from your contract my hips are sore i'm tired i'm an old man but for some reason it just makes you more and more popular there's just something about him that i relate to w will <laughs> he's so old and grumpy and doesn't seem to enjoy performing at all he doesn't want to be here at all he's terrible with the coordinated choreographed dance moves 
I hope the judges won't support me. While the others want to get an A, I want to get an F as it stands for Freedom. Fuck you all. <laughs> he told South China Morning Post. His pleas went unanswered. However, he was propelled through three months of competition and 10 episodes, plus supplemental digital content. A fan base which had taken to his grumpy anti-celebrity persona, or were perhaps driven by schadenfreude, urged each other to vote for him and let him 1996, in reference to China's digital industry culture of chronic overwork, 9am to 9pm, six days a week. <laughs> so these motherfuckers are like, I have to work nine till nine, six days a week. Let's see if Lelouch likes it. It feels like it's also a statement to Russia. It's like, you know, I know we're vague allies, but we're also, you know, immense superpowers jostling for world supremacy at the moment when the, you know, current reigning champ is, you know, pretty much down and out. You know, we're starting to muscle up a bit, but we're also coordinating a bit. Like if we had, who's Australia's biggest enemy? Is it New Zealand? England. Maybe, no, England's not far enough. Like, well, okay, say we were at war. So, say that, um, you know, we're at war with some other country. Yep. Some other country. Yep. Austria's decided it's fucking sick and tired of people, you know, uh, confusing Austria <laughs> and Australia. Time to fucking get an Austrian involved in a fucking war again. Uh, we're yep. going to invade Australia. And then we have some Austrian bloke on Australian Idol and he doesn't want to be on there. Do you think Australia would get together and go, there is no way we're voting this grumpy Austrian off this show? Yeah, we're just going to punish him. We're going to keep him in there. I think I would be leading, leaning more towards the original, like the grumpy anti-celebrity persona is so attractive because you can't deny that, that it is interesting when you see someone who seems to hate something so much, you like them. I mean, that's the whole idea of like being a heel in the wrestling, right? Mm. Is like you want to hate them and, and you know, they're saying the wrong things and they just don't want to be there and stuff. But that's in itself is kind of part of the appeal is you want to see that person stirring shit up every week. It's like they always say on Big Brother. It's like Gretel Colleen used to always say, Will, don't vote off the people who annoy you because you want to keep them on to create fireworks. Vote out the people who are, who are boring and mundane. I used, guy to, to... I used to love when Gretel Colleen would come on the TV and say that because it was clearly something a producer had said really angrily in a meeting. Oh, they're voting off all the fucking good ones. We're going to get no drama for the TV. And then Gretel had to just go on TV and basically try and beg the audience. I know this is the conceit of the show that you guys get to vote, but you're fucking up. You're ruining it for yourself, guys. Just think ahead a few more weeks. Keep the annoying ones in. <laughs> Others called him the most miserable wage slave and celebrated him as an icon of Sang culture, S-A-N-G, Sang culture, a Chinese millennial concept of having a defeatist attitude towards life. Oh, yeah. Ah, God, haven't we left a great world for all our, like, millennials and Generation Z, the ones who are like, let's embrace nihilism. <laughs> this yeah. is what we have to look forward to. You know what defines to. us as a generation? The fact that we have absolutely given up because the rest of you guys fucked it so badly. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> now, do you want to hear a bit of his song? I'm sure we can play a few seconds of it. There's a there's, yeah. this is his um, this is the song Jackpot by Lelouch. And keep in mind, it's him um, grumpily doing this. So this is him not performing. So I'm not sure without the visuals will work for you, but we'll just hit play on this. That's not him. That's just the intro. He's very good looking. This is him. Yeah. 
I mean, that is auto-tune, and it still sounds out of tune. How is that fucking possible? The auto-tuner blew up. You can hear it struggling. It's trying so hard to get him near the fucking notes, and even the power of the technology cannot make it work. Wow, that is like, that's really something. So it says, after making the final, Ivanov grumpily ate a lemon on camera and said he hoped people would not support him again. I'm not kidding, he said, deadpan, looking straight down the camera. <laughs> but, like, he ate a lemon. What was, explain how that, he's like, you know what? They're not voting me off this fucking show. It's come to this. Grab me that lemon and I'm going to eat this lemon. I'm like, do something more disgusting with a lemon than, like, fuck the lemon or something. All right, put your thinking hat on for a moment. Yeah. You are Lelouch. You're in this situation which you hate. You're halfway through the three-month shoot. You're desperate to get off. But you've signed a contract, so financially you can't afford to quit. So you need to think of a way, keeping in mind... This is a totalitarian regime yeah. <laughs> that you know, you've got to be very careful with what you say or do. Do you have a better plan than what he's done? Like, how, yes. do, how are you getting off this show? I do. And my plan is this. So, yes, absolutely what you're saying is right. Can't do any of the things you'd normally do to get off the TV show, which is just come on and say something completely inappropriate or swear or whatever. You're going to like your contract's going to be void. You're going to be up for fines. You're in China you know, on a visa in a place where it would be very easy People for you get to get like sanctioned very harshly. Oh, sanctioned. Yeah, that's at the right at the good end of what I'm thinking is going to no, happen. No, 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 no. Sanction was just code I was using, Charlie. Yeah, right. I understood exactly what you meant. I called it sanctioned. You were so scared of the Chinese government, even in talking in the third person about them, you were saying sanctioned. Yeah, I was saying sanctioned. I'm sure they would do everything very legally and you would be just be very sanctioned very quietly out the back into a room where four in men the back would, of your head. Yeah, sanction you quite hard to the back of your head. So, <laughs> um, okay, so his problem is that he's going to shit. What yep. you need to do, because what is compelling to people is the fact that he doesn't want to be there. You've got to get rid of that. You've yep. got to get, you've got to pretend like you really do want to be there and you're trying your best and you're still shit. So mm. he went to shit. What you've got to aim for is look like you're trying to do really well, but still be the most shit person. But is it, I, I, I get that, but that's, that's kind of, that comes with its own risks as well, because I mean, I guess it gets to a certain point. You've got to look at where, where was the tipping point where his popularity gathered steam? Like how soon into it did, you know, people start to notice that this grumpy guy is actually very compelling because maybe he had to adjust his behavior from from that point because I think that it's kind of a bit like QAnon people where no matter what he does now so if he just just say like at this point you know uh, one and a half months into it he, he takes your advice and he starts really trying but then I think the fan base that's already built underneath him would just pivot and be like oh we now want to get behind the slave wage uh, the wage slave because he's he's trying now, and I you know I can appreciate that. Like that's the problem is you have to. He had to go in with that plan initially. He had to go in. He had to have alarm bells ringing almost straight away for him to take that approach first. Because the minute he has any popularity underneath him, and you know there's a billion people in China, so it doesn't it only takes like one percent of that audience to get behind him, and that's like millions of people. So I think that I don't know that that would work halfway if his popularity is already established. Could he choose not to perform at all? 
he would get sanctioned to the back of the hand. <laughs> I think. Well, it depends. I mean, it's a Korean format in China. Do you think the producers have any... I mean, look, the Chinese government is going to trump any kind of authority, right? So it doesn't matter what the producers think or how the, whatever the producers do, whatever the Chinese government say here. So, yeah, you're right. He could, he could just refuse to perform. But I think, again... Could he it, fake it, a, an injury? Or do a real injury? Or, yeah, is he will, does he hate it so much that he's, like, willing to, like, like fall over somebody else and, like, do his knee, blow out his knee? Is he willing to be on crutches for six months to get out of this I, show? I think it's got to be more of a vocal injury. I think he's got to get hit in the throat or something like that. Be unable to sing because if he can't dance, he can mm. still. There's plenty of pop stars who don't dance; they're just crooners. So he's got to take away that that ability to croon. So I think maybe he has to get hit in the throat. Is part of the appeal though that he's super good looking, right? Yeah, yeah, I think that's part of the appeal. Hit, Is hit there a way that he just comes out and he refuses to let people see oh, his beauty? Great. Okay, so, here, here we go. He's, let's say he's got a peanut allergy. Mm. So he hasn't let anyone know he has a peanut allergy. He yeah. wins one of the, the competitions and he gets a reward, so he gets to pick whatever he wants. He wants a peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> Boom, his face blows up. Those good looks disappear. He can't sing because his throat's all closed up. People start, you know, he's off off air for two weeks, and then maybe that's his yeah. way out. Potentially, that is a that is a that is a great plan. Apart from the fact that we're relying on the idea that he's anaphylactic, I feel yeah. like that's that we've got to go with the facts that we have. Okay. We don't know if he's anaphylactic or not, but could he mask up? If part of the appeal of seeing this guy is not just that he's grumpy, that it's someone who's super good looking and also grumpy, like. Would his appeal go away if he just came out with like a bag on his head one week, if he like, you know, had some sort of ugly mask on the next week? Like he basically always performed. He went to the Tom Hardy school yeah. of uh, public performance, which is I won't be in your movie and I won't be in your boy band unless I can wear a mask over my beautiful face at all times. Yeah. Or does he Merlin it? Like Merlin from Australian Big Brother. He just sort mm -hmm. of sneaks kind of some message onto stage. Like not against the the government necessarily, but risky. Although it's of the sort sanctions. of, I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, it kind of sounds like he has been protesting the show. Like if he came out, you know, like when Prince um, had that deal with Sony that he was unhappy with, and so he would like, you know, changed his name to Love Symbol and wrote Slave all over his body whenever he's photographed in public. If he did something like that, do you think that just further endears him to the audience if he comes out and just like he, so they play that song the music is on stage all the dances and he just says this show is bullshit you know this 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 stage is a prison i hate everyone in here anyone who listens to my music is a moron or do you think that the contract would specify like swearing or threatening our audience you get a sanction i just think people that love that bit i am actually coming around to your way of thinking that there is almost no way that he could have done anything because whatever he did, once you've agreed that you think it's funny to see this guy on this show, like if he comes out Sinead O'Connor style dressed as like, you know, the Pope, the Pope. as a nun and tears up a picture of the Pope, you're just like, I can't wait to see what he does next week. <laughs> he is so desperate to get off this show. There's no way we can let him. Um, he was eventually voted out in the final episode, which aired mm -hmm. on Saturday. I'm finally getting off work. He posted on his Weibo account the next day. A Weibo hashtag related to his departure was viewed more than 180 million times. 180 wow. million. And reposted more than 59,000 times, including by the Russian embassy. <laughs> Congratulations. Have a good rest, the embassy said. 
which again sounds like code for we're going to poison you. Right. <laughs> I'd like to say that to political opponents in Russia. Have a good rest. Yeah, have a good rest. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and thank you for watching. <laughs> the Russian media reported that Ivanov had been mobbed at Beijing airport as he left the country, defying rumours he would stay to build a modelling career. Reports of a captive Russian from Vladivostok being held prisoner on a Chinese reality show had led to an online campaign at home for Ivanov to be released from his contract, which bloggers coined as Free Lelouch or, and then there's the Russian spelling of the same hashtag, so he went back to Russia after this experience. He's got to get out. I mean, he really should have just gone to New Zealand. <laughs> I saying, I think he would have loved it. Just, just try a country where there's a working democracy. State media began reporting on Ivanov's predicament about a week ago after popular Russian bloggers posted about the interpreter's unlikely run. It's not funny anymore. Let Vlad go home. <laughs> Wrote one. I'm very sad and very disturbed. I might, it might have been amusing for some time, but the situation is becoming absurd. I mean, it feels to me as an impartial observer that it is indeed very funny. And it's good to know that even in like a communist regime that we hear so many stories about what the populace is like, this to me is funny. Yeah. This to me gives me hope about, you know, what people are doing at home, shit posting, ruin yeah. a Russian's life. On yeah, a boy this, band show. <laughs> this is like the Bodie McBoat face of yeah. uh, Chinese reality right? shows, really, isn't it? Do you think if he wasn't good looking? No. That, yeah, you wouldn't enjoy the story as much. <laughs> no. The problem is he's good looking. Like you just immediately assume because he's good looking, he's just, his life's been easy. He's good looking, speaks multiple languages, well-traveled clearly. So fuck you. <laughs> I mean, if it's little... first episode and he's an ugly dude who hates being there, everyone's just like, well, see an ugly dude who hates being here. You know, there's no Chinese Gretel Colleen who's coming out going, no, you're voting out the most interesting ones. You're ruining it for yourself. The fact that he's super good looking, people immediately start making up excuses for their behavior. I mean, this is something mm. that we see in society all the time. It's yep. why this Instagram, you mentioned QAnon before, this Instagram wellness, you know, QAnon like thing that has happened where good looking people suddenly believe they're also smart because Instagram came along and they posted a whole bunch of, you know, photos of them in their bikinis and people started following them and then they're like, Well, you know what? If you like me in my bikini, I've also got a lot of interesting opinions that I think I could share with you. <laughs> <laughs> and people seem to still like the the posts and then they suddenly thought they were experts and that's what that is what has happened here? People yeah. have just decided we will put up with all this cuckoo stuff that they believe because they are super good looking. I mean, it's one of the rare instances where being super good looking doesn't work in his favor because he's, he's screwed either way because he's so good looking that some people are going to want to keep him there because he's so good looking. They're just blinded by his beauty and people like looking at pretty things. But then the other flip side is, He's so good looking. Other people are like, fuck you, good looking guy. <laughs> you need to feel what it feels like to be a normal person for once. Yeah, but also there'd be an element of because he's not talented, like he's not even intimidating. You're fine with him being good looking. Like if he was really good looking and like a really good singer and like a really good dancer, you'd be like, ah, oh, fuck this dude. He's too good. Now yeah. I want to take him down. But he's like perfect. He's just like, no, no, no. I'm staying in my lane, dudes. I have one thing that I'm, well, two things that I'm good at. Translating. My two passions. Translating and being, being super good, good looking. looking. <laughs> Popular blogger Ruslan Uzichev said Ivanov's high profile, if reticent, participation had boosted pro produce camps aura of, oh, sorry. 
<laughs> Popular blogger Rosalind Uzichev said Ivanov's high profile, if high profile, if reticent participation had boosted pro, pro, uh, produce, I keep saying produce camp, produce camps aura of an international competition, no doubt pleasing Tencent, the Chinese tech giant that runs it. <laughs> Tencent, yeah, not fifty cent. <laughs> Just 10. But it's not actually, it's not 10 space cent. It's actually T-E-N-C-E-N-T. So you run it together. So I don't know if 10 cent means something else. Um, suddenly, oh, this is uh, the blogger speaking. Suddenly, a real live person appeared on this show and people started to vote for him. Right. Partially because he stands out from the other contestants, but mainly because it's just kek, K-E-K, a term adopted by gamers that refers to an amusing incident. Okay. It's shit posting. Yeah. It's just, you know what it is. It's like the chans and these things. I say like an old person. <laughs> yeah, it's the chans. Yeah. You know what there's going on. There's and the two or three, maybe the four of them. There's, there's a bunch of chans. People do things. There's memes and stuff. It's fine. I get it. I'm, I'm not out of touch at all. I understand what young people are into. And apparently it's ruining people's lives en masse. Ivanov's story, which has gained him millions of viewers and fans on social media, has also drawn accusations of being a publicity stunt. Again, the motherfucker can't win at all. Like, he just, there's no way. He does his best to get off the show and people say, ah, it's a publicity stunt. This is exactly what you wanted. But his friend, the agency executive Ivan Wang. I mean, I mean he's got a foot in both camps, hasn't he? <laughs> Ivan Wang. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Yeah, Ivan Wang. <laughs> Ivan Wang. Who uh, <laughs> hired him to chaperone and translate for two Japanese clients on the show said he really disliked being in front of the camera. Okay, see, that's the first indication that we have that he speaks multiple languages. He was a translator for Japanese clients. Um, okay, so Ivan says about his mate, one time I got him a modelling job in Hong Kong and he sent me an SOS message saying he couldn't stand it for five minutes after arriving on set, <laughs> Wang told a Chinese entertainment blog. Okay, so this guy just doesn't like work. doesn't like people. I'm starting to hear. <laughs> I think he likes people. He declined repeated participation requests by the director of Produce Camp 2021. He just said yes after getting bored on the island. He thought <laughs> joining the show might have helped his introverted personality. So there you go. He was just hanging out on the island as a translator. He hated that. And so then he's like, well, this might change. And he goes, oh, my God, <laughs> this is much worse. I will go on a show that captures the attention of two of the most heavily populated countries in the entire world. I mean, he's how if you are a genuine introvert, we, we discuss this a lot in our other yeah. podcast, Two Guys, One Cup. Um, Nat Fife, uh, you know, one of the best players in the AFL, who describes himself as an introverted extrovert and we always joke about the kind of nonsensical nature of that statement. If you are a genuine introvert, there is no way you're going on a reality show. I don't believe him when he says he's an introverted personality because, like you say, it's the most densely populated country in the world. You would know that going onto the show. It is. I, 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 I understand not obviously to that extent at all, but I do think that there is something – because, you know, I, I can be a bit introverted, not to that extent. Like, I would never necessarily describe myself as being an introvert. But, like, I have an aspect of my work that is quite extroverted. And I do think that often I've chosen that because it's a, a controllable, you, you know, it's a way to control being extroverted and, you know, have a social group and, you know, do all those sort of things that I find quite um, overwhelming in my just, like, normal nature. Mm -hmm. So I can understand the kind of thinking behind it. But this is to a completely different degree. I mean, this is, 
yeah, I mean, I'm not putting myself on like the biggest, a big reality show, uh, you know, in China, which is going to be seen by, like you said, hundreds of millions of people, but then also being Russian, mm. knowing that it's going to get the attention of Russia as well. That just feels like, yeah, that feels like the, the they, they would be painting a sanctioned target on the back of my head. <laughs> yeah, you're inviting scrutiny. I had an ex-girlfriend who was an actress and... She used to get so anxious about auditions and the casting process and being on stage or being in front of a camera. Like the whole profession she had chosen to go into, like, seemed to be so painful. I used to, I couldn't work out my mind. Like, why don't you choose something else? Like the the payoff you're getting for all this kind of agony and, and the stress and the mental demons you battle with each audition or each performance must be not worth it. But I think it's kind of sort of similar to what you're saying. It, when she was in front of the camera or when she was on stage, she was controlling the moment. I think she was quite a shy, introverted person, but it was almost like she set herself the challenge to get out of her shell. I'm going to put myself in uncomfortable situations where I feel judged and you know looked at and all that kind of stuff. But at least that way, no one else is talking while I'm talking. I can actually control the situation. Didn't work for her. <laughs> she ended up having a nervous breakdown, but you know, I, I understand the philosophy. Feels like it didn't really work out for Vlad either, to be honest. <laughs> I wonder what a psychologist would say about that in terms of, you know, I don't know if being an introvert is like a, like a diagnosable thing, but the idea of, you know, there's people who often do things that scare them to sort of test themselves. I wonder yeah. if like there is, a, there is an element of that behind it, do you think? Like, I want to get out of my comfort zone. I want to try new things. Maybe I feel like it's a flaw in my personality that I, I can't just like walk into a room. I mean, he he hated translating for two Japanese people working <laughs> on the show. Like he's clearly not a people person. So maybe he was like, I need a circuit breaker. I need something to kind of get me out of my my rut. Oh, I'm starting to think it might be him. It's not the jobs. I'm starting to think it is intrinsic to his personality. So it may be if he is such a curmudgeon, if he is like a person who is so easily bored, then I can understand why the idea of appearing on something that is so huge mm. might actually make sense in a weird way because yep. you're like, well, just going for a walk every day isn't going to break me out of the fact that I hate every job that I have despite the fact that I can speak several languages and I'm overseas working. I'm bored to death. Yeah. I'm ridiculously good looking. I get booked for modelling jobs. I get bored of that. You know what? I'm going to go on the most confronting thing that I can possibly do. Maybe there is some logic to that. I, I Yeah, okay. I, I can understand that. That didn't work out though, did it? No, not really. <laughs> I mean, when I started in uh, like in the TV industry, when I had my first few acting jobs, I would say that like 90% of the actors I met, mostly like young actors or, you know, around about the same, same age or experience level as me, all had a Lelouch attitude which is like even though they're working they're like this is fucking shit and you know the scripts are shit and the show's shit and you know i want to be doing like better stuff than this and and i always used to i i thought that was the attitude you had to have to approaching work that nothing was good enough everything was beneath you and all that kind of stuff it's only as an older mature head will they came to realize it was people's insecurities speaking for them but i wonder if like that is also just that element we talk a lot on this show about you know in your 20s you're sort of defined by what you hate, you know, everything's a, a, everything is, is viewed by what you're in opposition to. And then you just sort of relax that shit as you get older. Like maybe if Lelouch, if they do like a, a, a Legends of uh, a Produce Camp in five years' time, Lelouch might have a feel differently about it if he came back in his 30s. I, th I hope that Lelouch does. 
I hope that this is one of those things that, I mean, there's plenty of things that I did in my twenties and my thirties. And to be honest, in my fucking forties that I look back on and think, Oh, I I'd like to think I've evolved to a place now where if I was in those circumstances, again, I wouldn't behave in that way particularly in a professional sense, because I started doing television, which was something that I'd never really particularly aspired to do. I wanted to be a stand-up comedian. And then that led to getting opportunities to do television, which I've always quite enjoyed, but I've never considered myself to be a television person. Even though I've had like, I've been lucky enough to have a couple of really successful television projects. I don't really see myself as a television person. Like I don't go to television things. I don't pursue television projects, but um I've got a, a little thing that I've come up with that I'm working on uh, for this year. So it's an opportunity to start again on a new project, which is like, I mean, this will be our 13th year of Gruen. So it hasn't been for 13 years that I've started out with something new with all the, you know, fear and, you know, all, all those things that come with starting a new project about whether it will work or whether it's something that people would be interested in or whether, you know, you still have the capacity to do it. But also I'm a very different person to who I was hopefully 13 years ago. And so going into this project, I, it's an opportunity to start fresh and go, hey, this is how I want us to deal with these sort of things. This is what I want the attitude of this project to be. This is how I want it to be and how we communicate and you know, set those things. So it's quite interesting. And I mean, you do, I think there's a lot of your life as you get older where you really just want to go back to people you were dealing with 10, 20, 30 years ago and apologise. Yeah, 100%. Well, I think it's also, or, or at least you pass on that information to uh, you know people you see coming up who are experiencing what right. you went through. Like that's the one thing I noticed going, you know, doing, doing soap, going to home and away was I, I entered that as like someone in my mid-30s and there was all these young actors around and it was so... Um, it brought back so many memories seeing these young actors into the show and they're just so full of like, you know, kind of take on the world and this is what I love and this is what I hate. And it's, it's almost still that high school mentality, you know, it's so much about tribalism. And I did my best to sort of just like say, hey, you know what, like you got to look at a big picture here. Like, you know, there is, you, if you want to have like a, a, a long career, you can't sort of sweat all these little things and you're going to have, you're going to enjoy yourself much more if you recognize the opportunity that's in front of you and you work really hard to make the most of it because, I think if I had to go back and advise, you know, twenty-five-year-old Charlie when he was starting out, it would be just to to work harder and be more grateful and appreciate more and spend less time worrying about what other people are doing or what other opportunities other people are getting. Because if you, I found if I just kept my nose to the grindstone, eventually you get your you get your chance. But bitching and moaning about what other people are doing never really gets you that. It just kind of feeds this little monster that eats away inside of you. Yeah, I think if I went back and gave myself advice when I was starting out on this, I would be have more fun at work and have less fun when you're not at work right. <laughs> would be my two bits of advice. <laughs> like I think there's a big period of time where you get those out of whack where you, you treat work so seriously in a way that it doesn't need to be. I mean, you, no, it's, it's good to treat it seriously, but you think that you have to pretend that like you have to be a certain sort of personality or you have to complain about things or you have to be yeah. hard to work with to be seen to be treating it seriously where you can be incredibly successful at something and also have fun doing it. Well, I hope that is the case. And then then I don't think you need as much outside work you know, going, where am I going to find my fun, right? Yeah. Like bring your fun into your work a little bit and don't need so much fun outside your work then. 100%. 
Well, let's get to our mailbag. And if you want to send us a message, you can do that by going to tofop.com. There's a little form down the bottom where you can send a message to any of our podcasts. And while you're there, you might want to check one of our other podcasts out, like Willosophy. Who's on this week? Uh, Amy Shark. <gasps> uh, so, yeah, a very um, cool. uh, well-known Australian musician with a great story to tell and uh, had a really fantastic chat with her like it was great and relaxed and i think i got a whole bunch of stuff out of her that you don't get in a normal traditional interview so if you're a fan of amy sharks then i highly recommend that you check out the latest episode and uh, a new one a return episode with sam mack the accidental weatherman uh, from last week as well which is a real cracker did amy shark talk about russell crowe at all did that come up uh so i saw that amy shark was retweet- retweeted by russell crowe today because i saw that and They're then retweeted buddy that clip. Buddy. but what's going on I see them. I see them kind of like you know, sparring and chatting on on Twitter. I'm like, yeah, Amy Shark and, and Russell Crowe. Who would have thought that pairing would have happened? Well, I hope that Russell Crowe listens to her episode of Willosophy and then decides that he wants to come on Willosophy. That is now my hope based yeah. on only this conversation. <laughs> Uh, faux fop this week, uh, Michael Chamberlain. I'm doing a, a second faux fop in a row. Uh, Michael Chamberlain is my guest this week of Junk Time AFL and a bunch of other great Australian comedy programs. So you can find that all at tofop.com. Um, but we've had some messages sent in. Well, this is from Kerry. Uh, she says, two colon fop. I sent this story ages ago, but then I got an error message and I couldn't tell if it went through. So I've been wrestling <laughs> with a dilemma of, sorry, that was her um, writing haha in brackets, not me just editorializing. Uh, left me with a dilemma of resending in case you did see the email and thought it was dumb. So I would look even lamer by submitting again. Or it just didn't go through. Um, well, Kerry, it didn't go through. That's why I'm reading it now. Yes, I do enjoy overthinking everything. Why do you ask? I have a story from my TV reviewer days that I thought you might enjoy. This was the early 2000s, the glory days of the WWE. One day, a Channel 7 publicist phoned me and said that a couple of her colleagues said I was really into wrestling and she thought I might be able to answer a question for her. She then said, the WWE is coming to Australia and one of the wrestlers really wants to do a set visit on Home and Away because he's a big fan. We're trying to figure out how big a deal this wrestler is. And then she tells me the name of the wrestler. Now, Will, I'll give you three guesses. Um, It's definitely like a superstar. It's not a B-grader, probably one of the uh, top 10 Easily in the top 10. Biggest wrestling. Easily in the top 10. Yeah. But it, when you say easily in the top 10, that implies that it's not The Rock and it's not uh, Hulk Why? Hogan. Well, because I, I'm just saying that I think that they are kind of almost in a category above that, which is they okay, are people yeah. who are famous wrestlers beyond being wrestlers. Okay. All right. That's a, well, that's well, well defined because, uh, <laughs> yes, he's famous primarily for being a wrestler. Yeah. Okay. So then it takes you down to that. So John Cena, I would even say, is like a person who is known as an actor as but well. But remember, so this, say, is, this is the mid-2000s. Okay. Well, it's okay. So there's a possibility it's John Cena then, I'm going to say. Okay. Um, uh, it could be, I can't imagine it's like, Edge isn't good enough for, like I can imagine it being like one of those sort of dudes, like, you know. Like a B-grader. Um, well, not B-grader, yeah, but like second but string. But, but they're not top 10. Yeah, exactly. I can't really imagine Stone Cold Steve Austin being a oh, huge be Hummerway fan, but I hope that is the actual <laughs> correct answer. <laughs> it's not. Um, but you're in the was ballpark. It, uh, I, I'm in the ballpark. What yeah. about? Uh, well, it's, what about the dead man himself? Could it be? 
It is. It is. You've got it right there. It's The Undertaker. The American badass, The Undertaker, requested a set visit to Home and Away. Kerry continues, I don't know if the set visit ever happened, but obviously I strongly recommended that it should, and there should also be photos of it all for us to enjoy. I think I eventually figured out that his then wife, uh, I think her name was Sarah, she had a neck tat, was British, and that they had children. So the most logical explanation as to The Undertaker's interest is that. But part of me likes to imagine that when The Undertaker is kicking back and relaxing, he likes to watch Home and Away and he has to go to considerable effort to source an episode because it's not like it's readily available in the US. I mean, <laughs> I hope that is true. And I hope that I hope that The Undertaker did visit Home and Away because there are you've never seen two uh, like more contrary visual representations than The Undertaker. In his two iterations, either like the kind of, you know, the, the dead man or the, uh, the American badass, even when he had that like pagan period, he's all about like goth imagery. <laughs> to see him in Summer Bay would be amazing. You know what I love uh, about this is I typed in while you were talking The Undertaker Home and Away, right? Mm. Just to see what came up. The top article was WWE legend The Undertaker found dead in Texas home. What? And then the second article is Undertaker Dead Hoax, WWE legend not found dead in home. <laughs> That's the top two hits on Google. Jury's out. <laughs> Jury's out. <laughs> Much like The Undertaker, could be dead, could be undead. Not really sure. Um, you haven't been keeping up with the wrestling lately. but uh, so, I have not. Uh, the Undertaker, Mark Ga- uh, Calloway, has retired recently. And it's been really interesting. The last year or so, he was a bit like John Farnham where he kept sort of retiring and then they'd bring him back for a WrestleMania match. And he finally did his last ever WrestleMania last year during the, the pandemic because um, they've had to change the way they shoot a lot, a lot of these kind of main events because they haven't had crowds and stuff. So they moved to kind of more... They call them cinematic matches where they basically shoot the match like a mini action film with sort of multiple camera coverage and more storylines and stuff. But um, since his retirement, he's gone on this like publicity blitz where his whole thing for so long, The Undertaker, was about maintaining the illusion of, you know, the dead man. He didn't do interviews. He kept kayfabe the whole time. But now he's just got like 30 years worth of stories and he's doing everything like he was on the joe rogan show he did steve austin's podcast he's on everything and i don't know how i feel about it because he's actually quite a goofy kind of dude like clearly you know a great storyteller and has some amazing stories to tell but there's just something weird about having known this guy as one person for 30 years and then to see him tell these kind of like essentially sportsman night anecdotes about you know the time so-and-so hid someone's tights in the locker room and just all these like goofy kind of stories it's really really weird I mean, I love the idea that he's just been for 30 years, just gone, write them down, remember them. Yeah. At some stage, you are going to have some shit to say. Well, he, talk, he actually talks about that where he, he had to make the decision of like, I've created this character, possibly one of the most famous, you know, of all wrestling characters of all time. And if I now suddenly come out and do like, you know, Ellen and Jimmy Fallon and stuff, am I completely undoing all that work with that 30 years of work? And I say yes. <laughs> I say yes. It undoes the mystique completely. It's just not the same. It's just, it's, I don't know. I can't think of what to compare it to, but it's, it's almost like, did you ever, like, it's like, it's like seeing when Jim Henson do Kermit the Frog's voice, like normally like, oh, whoa, whoa. And this is weird. I only like seeing you in one format. You're either a, a felt frog or not. I guess that is still where wrestlers 
fit between in the entertainment industry in a way, isn't it? Like they, they're somewhere between the actors because we understand that actors can be separate personalities to their characters. We've got around that. They're on talk shows all the time. Sometimes what an actor does in real life does spoil the character a little bit, but in general, we're able to separate those two things in our minds. But with wrestlers, they're still a little felt frog, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. There's, there's on, on the scale between proper actor and felt frog, wrestler is somewhere in the middle. This is from Nathaniel. Um, subject, I think I found Wiggletown. Hi, Will and Charlie. I hope you're having a lovely day as you read this. I'm just writing to tell you a brief story in which your podcast came up and to potentially out myself as one of the bigger geeks listening to your show. I'm sure that's going to be a big contest, no lie. So on the weekends, I run a regular Dungeons & Dragons campaign and in the preparation of a recent adventure, I had begun researching one of, in, one of the infinite layers of the abyss, which is like, that's all in capital letters, so I'm assuming it's a thing in Dungeons and Dragons, the infinite layer of the abyss, where my players would be exploring. I don't need to go into the full details here, uh, uh, but what I found was this place was described thusly. Existing under a blue sun, reality had an unusual, unusual relationship on this plane and things often acted opposite of what was to be expected. For example, fire burns blue and purple and cold magic instead becomes hot. Suffice to say, I'd been listening to your podcast on Wiggletown while doing my nerd studies mm. and proceeded to nickname the layer as such. And in explaining this to my players, the nickname has stuck. So Wiggletown is now the name of is now one of the many layers of the abyss where the demons rise eternally to wage war against devils, which seems appropriate. Much love to you both, Nathaniel. I mean, that would be hard to beat for nerdy credentials. I was going to suggest I'm very happy for us to open up our mailbag to somebody who would like to nominate themselves as our nerdiest <laughs> listener, if you want to define it as geekiest or nerdiest or whatever it is you want to do it. But as a peg that you have to surpass, the idea that you're playing Dungeons and Dragons and you've managed to make that even nerdier <laughs> by introducing both the Wiggles and us to your Dungeons and Dragons, that is going to be hard to geek. Have you ever played Dungeons and Dragons? No. Mm. And I'm pretty geeky, pretty nerdy. I'm not not really. I'm a bit of a casual geek and nerd, to be honest. But like I have inclinations in that direction, but I've never played Dungeons and Dragons. I don't think you would like it. I mean, it requires acting. I'm an actor and I don't like it. I played it once with my sister and her friends and I thought I found the whole thing really silly. But that's fine. I would not like it. No. I, I do not like acting. Because you've professionally or in I mean, like my look, private life. I'm sure D and D fans probably I've got this wrong, but my reading of Dungeons and Dragons was it a bit was it's a bit like theatre sports, where you're given basically obviously there's a point system and a die and all that kind of dice, right. seven face dice or something, but basically you get put in this situation where you've got to like ad lib, <laughs> you know, like you're a wizard who has to get past the cave troll to get the treasure or something like that, and so you got to like get to ad lib a bit and. It's, wasn't really into it as an eight-year-old, but maybe if I, I'll rediscover it later on. Uh, this is from uh, regular listener Joe Brada. He says, uh, uh, hey, guys, thanks for all the laughs over the years. Will, I really enjoyed what you're talking about, Will, at the Comedy Festival. It's the first stand-up performance that I can recall not seeing you in your Doc Martens. You used to have a joke that your Doc Martens were older than most audience members. Have the famed boots been retired? They have. They have indeed been retired. Um, basically, they just fell apart and they have sentimental value to me. So I didn't want to completely ruin them. I wanted to keep them. So they still do exist. Like they might come out for a special occasion now or again. But I have a 
another pair of shoes that were bought uh, for me for a birthday present. And so I now wear them. But it has actually been probably about two or three years of me wearing those shoes. The docks got retired a few years ago. Such an enduring label, isn't it, Doc Martin? Like Gemma and I were commenting on this a couple of weeks ago. We were at the cafe and all the, like the young millennial staff there, all the girls especially, were getting around in like, you know, Doc Martin boots. It's like... It's just on the just on the quiet. Doc Martin has just hung in there. It's just like ridden every kind of single fashion trend and just managed to be. It's almost ubiquitous, really, isn't it? Well, you know what I would say about them because I have two other pairs mm. of Docs. I have them in three separate stages. One that are like thirty years old, which I can still wear. That's I mean, this I think is part of the appeal of the Doc Martin. You buy one pair of the boots. Yeah, I've got a pair that I can't wear at the moment because they're not worn in yet. Mm. It's going to be another two or three years before I wear, wear them in properly. I'm at that you know, stage like, right now. I've got a pair of Doc Martin boots I bought in LA three years ago, and I'm still wearing them in. And it's a fucking process, man. <laughs> like you've got to limp for two years before you can walk. Well, we have a pair that I wear on Gruen, which were bought brand new for me because they thought, oh, you know, it's a TV show. We'll buy him a brand new pair of shoes. I've done that show for 12 years, but because we only do 10 episodes a year, they're still not worn in properly. <laughs> like, I just put on a pair of uncomfortable boots. Like, by the time I finally wear them in, we'll be like, oh, well, this is the final episode. Will's shoes are comfortable. You can't even walk to set. You just get wheeled out like Hannibal Lecter on one of those trolleys. <laughs> I mean, there's been a few seasons where that was probably the case anyway. <laughs> All right, that's it for Tofop this week. Thank you uh, so much to everyone who wrote in. And uh, please tell people about the podcast. We just got some uh, download numbers for the last uh, couple of months. And it's good. The shows in the network uh, are getting higher and higher numbers. And that's all thanks to you guys. So please keep telling people. Uh, leave a review if you can. Give us a rating if you've got time. You can uh, go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Tofop. There's heaps of extra bonus content there. And you can sign up for as little as a a dollar per month to access all that incredible uh, extra stuff some extra podcasts we do some letters stuff um there's yeah anyway there's heaps of uh, bonus content there or uh for philosophy there's a patreon as well there is no bonus content there you get the show a day early and you get it ad free so that's the bonus content that you get there and i have uh shows in wagga wagga uh, my show about being arrested on the way to wagga wagga is going back to Wagga Wagga. So if you are in Wagga or if you're in the nearby region, because I've seen online a few people saying, look, it's only a two-hour drive and I just want to see how this shit goes <laughs> down, then I can understand that impulse. So two shows, two shows only in Wagga Wagga that are on sale now. I'd love it to be like, you know, when the doors, you know, performed in front of all those police or NWA when all the cops came to stand in the front row to see if they were going to play like, you know, fuck the police or whatever, that you get on stage and there's just a row of cops just staring at you, waiting to see. Just come on, funny guy, make a joke about the law. Let's see what happens. Okay, so, well, the, the cops who arrested me have already seen the show. They came and saw it in Canberra. Uh, so, anticlimax. Uh, but one of them, who was the guy who initially messaged me about them coming to see it in Canberra, messaged me the other day, and this is literally what he said. He goes, I see you're bringing the show to Waka Waka. Do you want us to pick you up at the airport again? <laughs> oh, so there's going to be two comedians in Waka Waka that night. I thought that was pretty funny. and But here's the... So they're coming to the show again. But it is interesting because <laughs> because of the fuss around it. They, they did say to me the other day, do you want to fly in? Like, you've got to be aware there's going to be media at the airport to greet you and all these sort of things. Really? So, yeah. I mean, I guess for Wagga Wagga, it was like a, a, big you know, a big story. And it's funny that I'm coming back to do that show about it and... But yeah, I hadn't really thought of all those things, so I'm going to have to work all That's that amazing. out. That's amazing. Like there's part of me that goes, throw yourself into it, you might get a whole new show out of it. But there's another part of you that's like, I want to manage 
some of this in a way that's not going to ruin my entire weekend. It's all, it's like whenever like you know Snoop Dogg tries to come to Australia or Eminem, and there's always like some you know conservative politician who's like, we're going to ban his visa because of what he did last time. So what you can do, Will, is parlay that into some Lelouch style popularity where you get on stage and just bitch and moan about how they tried to keep you out of Wagga Wagga, but no one could stop Will. What is it? W Will from performing. You know what? The Deputy Prime Minister of Australia is a politician by the name of Michael McCormack and he is the leader of the National Party and he is quite a conservative dude. Like he is he wrote like editorials in his newspaper days about against gay marriage and all sorts of things. And he when our Prime Minister is out of the country, he is actually the Prime Minister of Australia. So he's a pretty powerful dude, is what I'm saying. He is the local member for Wagga Wagga. So what if? Because he used to be a newspaper editorial guy. Could we get Michael McCormack to editorialise, like the Deputy Prime Minister yeah. of Australia saying, we should not be letting him back into Wagga Wagga? Yeah. I might have to do a week of shows if he would do that. That'd be amazing. We don't let criminals into Wagga Wagga. <laughs> we should also let people know um, that we have a Stuff We Talk About section in the podcast description below. There's a few people who wanted us to uh, list the uh, topics we talk about and TV shows and movies, so that's in the episode description below. But for now, I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Will Anderson.